0: Hi, I'm Tim. This is We're Only Human, a podcast celebrating the resiliency of the human spirit. We're here to learn where people find the strength to get back up after they get knocked down. Today, I'm joined by Carlo Navarro, who is a father, husband, brother, son, entrepreneur. Um, You've had many ideas over the years, uh, which is um, definitely something I want to talk about. Uh, and we've known each other, I was actually looking this up because I remember, I don't know if it's the like actual moment we met, but I have a vivid memory of when I worked at that small agency here in Chicago in Waker Park and you had walked in one day. Um, I think you were you were evaluating the agency in terms of like, hiring them to build a website for your idea, Indie Collision. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. That's the, Yes, I do. Very clearly. So that I I actually looked because I was really curious about how long ago this was because I know we've known each other for a long time now. It was early two thousand nine, so it was over a decade ago. <laughs> wow, right? That,
1: that's that's a long time ago. <laughs>
0: yeah, it is a long time ago, and and it, you know this stuck with me because I remember that your your idea indie collision. Um, this is where kind of you know when I think about you and all the the um ideas you've had over the years and the the things you pursued. This is where I kind of entered in. Um, I don't know if you had done anything before that, but I remember you came in and you were talking about Indie Collision. Um, And if I recall, Indie Collision was a website where independent musicians could basically distribute their music, right? Yeah, yeah. So
1: I I was doing music at the time in my, you know, kind of career i've always had a passion for music and i i was going out and playing and i the idea for this website and this sort of startup i guess at the time was i had a had a really hard time finding my audience and i knew i had people out there that could like my music and so i wanted to sort of bring technology into discovering my fans and so the premise of the the platform was um to be able to distribute your music but also use technology where if people played your music or liked your music well, you could essentially locate your fans on a map and you could plan tours better you can market better but essentially you can have an audience um you know figuring out which fans actually liked your music
0: I remember this i remember the map now so <laughs> this was so I have five different um, companies, ideas, projects that I know you've you've worked on over the years. What indie collision, like I said, was the first that I remember when when you kind of you know we entered each other's lives. What um w- why is indie collision no longer around today? Yeah. So you said it was two thousand nine. Was that we? I think you said it was. Yeah, so early two thousand was.
1: Yeah. So I think it's one of those things where great idea. I didn't really have a team behind me to kind of execute the idea. Um, a lot of it was timing too. I think this was sort of in the early stages, if not before iPhone and apps. So we were looking at, you know, just really pure websites for people to kind of discover things. And, um, you know, this was also in around the time of, you know, Obviously MySpace was really big at the time and then you know, and then you had your Pandora's of the world. And so I think it was just sort of on that crust of technology becoming more mobile. And then I mean, obviously we all know what happened when and apps became much more prevalent. A lot of it just has to do with execution, I think. I didn't have I was really young and in, in sort of the idea of how to build something. I had no idea. That's why I was vetting out. You know who could build it for me? I didn't have any, you know, skills in coding, and so I was just navigating through this entire thing really blindly. And so um, I think it was a good idea. I just didn't, we didn't, I didn't execute. And so I think no longer around. I I feel like it's still a viable opportunity, but I need you know some of those things you have to learn how to let go um, after giving it a shot for a while.
0: I uh, I like to take notes when I'm doing doing these episodes and I, I'm writing down here, learn how to like go, because I feel like that's going to be important um, for anyone. Um, as I mentioned, we, we met when you, you walked into the agency um, to, you know, possibly become a client. So you are a musician at the time. <clears throat> well, you're still a musician, um, but you were pursuing music and um, trying to find your audience. What, did it take for you to go from, I'm a musician, I want to do this and find my audience, to actually walking into that agency and kind of, you know, putting your, I guess, money where your mouth is, so to speak, but actually trying to solve that problem for yourself? Like, what did it take for you to actually make that transition?
1: Yeah. I mean, when you're when you're a musician trying to make it and you're playing, you know, as much as you can... And you do it for the art, you do it for um, the creativity, the writing, uh, and and it's it can take you so far. And I think it takes you to a a place where you have to make the decision if you want to make this something that's viable. Meaning viable, meaning make money. And I think a lot of musicians and artists don't want to mix those two together. They're like, well, I'm an artist, and I shouldn't have to, you know, think about making money. But when it when you know, you hit that sort of crossroad. You're like, well, I have to make money if I want to keep surviving doing what I love to do. And so, you know, as you kind of go through the the phases of being a, being a musician and you're you're playing, but then you're also trying to sell your music, you're at that time, you know, selling your CDs and you're trying to put your stuff on iTunes finally and make some money that way and hopefully go on tour. You have to sort of figure out, well, how am I going to do this? And I don't think a lot of, for me i wasn't given the sort of knowledge that hey you also have not only have to be an artist but you also have to be a business person and it just came to a frustration point where okay well how do i figure this out because i i don't i don't i know i'm not going to get signed to a label or at that time and um you know you're not going to you know kind of s- you kind of see the success that you just hear about on, you know, in, on the radio or in the magazine, you have to figure it out yourself. And so for me, it was like taking it in my own hands. If we're going to do this, we got to figure it out. And this was just one solution that I I thought that would be really um, useful for myself, but maybe for other people who are probably going through the same things. And that's why it, I was really encouraged to like actually put this into action.
0: So then, after any collision, um, gosh, it was about probably about a year after that um, when you uh, you and your wife have your first your first child, uh, your oldest now, Gray. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't too long after that that, that my oldest, Noah, was born. Um, you then, uh, your wife and yourself launch, I, I don't remember the exact timing, but I, I'm assuming it was inspired by your... Uh, by Gray, uh, you launched Kicksprout, which was uh, yeah. an idea you had around. If I remember correctly, it was around connecting parents through like local events to yeah. just learn more.
1: Yeah, so it, it was it was initially started. Um, you're right. We was we had our daughter Gray, and um, she had um, she had multiple like allergies and just a lot of things going on where she couldn't have, I mean, it, I mean, her allergies were like peanuts, tree nuts, sesame, dairy, soy. I mean, it, the list went on and on. And so we, this was our first, first child. And so we were sort of navigating, not just parenthood for the first time, um, you know, being parents of a young, uh, little baby, but also um, having to deal with a lot of different, you know, kind of bumps in the road to figure out this life. And so, we thought that you know at this time there has to be people asking the same questions, you know whether they're general questions around, um, you know how to raise your your first baby and and sleeping and eating, to much deeper questions like you know allergies and navigating that and and so many other things that that happen when you become a parent for the first time, and so you know, we started out as, um, you know, really like small groups, almost like meetups with, with other parents that were sort of going through the same thing. And then we started tapping into local resources like hospitals and coaches and, um, you know, nutritionists, et cetera. And it sort of grew from there where different neighborhoods and communities were starting, we, we helped start sort of kick sprout, um, events and leaned on the community to provide a lot of the resources. And so it sort of grew organically for a while. And, um, you know, it sort of grew up with us through our, you know, um, through through gray. And so it was really cool to see that sort of blossom, um, you know, as another idea come, came from a, an, another need. But a, a need that was as further down, to, uh, you know, on the life journey, right? Like musician, you know, single To now parents, young babies. So it was kind of cool to see that, you know, come to life.
0: Yeah. I, you mentioned, um, gray and the food allergies and, you know, I can relate my daughter, Molly having similar food allergies. Um, the peanut is the worst. Um, when, how early did you find out that gray had those allergies? Was it like within the first year of her being born or was it later on?
1: Yeah, I think it was within the first year. So I think, after a while we were sort to notice you know like her getting really you know um, you know kind of red or sort of fussy and I mean I think you just sort of know like something must be she's starting to react to some things I think we knew when she couldn't have um, uh, like traditional formula it had to be very specific like non-dairy and so at that point we knew that something was kind of triggering it and a lot of it was just kind of food related Um and so we had gone through, you know, the testing with allergists and yeah, she's like triggered for like a, a laundry list of things. So it really, it really changed the way uh, we cooked and the way we approach food and, uh, and just being a lot more researched on what goes into our food and what we put into our bodies. And so that sort of was kind of the beginning of that journey too, is like being a lot more aware and, and knowledgeable around um, simple things like, like our food.
0: Did that just like rock your world, um, when you found out about like the food allergies, I mean, you're, you're a new parent, you're just getting used to everything. Um, like I kind of only half jokingly say like, we're just making this up as we go along. Um, did, I mean, and those are, those are life threatening allergies too. Like, did that just kind of like stop you in your tracks?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, Gray is this, like this amazing, you know, girl now, but you know, when she was born, we actually, she spent a few days in the NICU. Uh, she had some sort of, they, they noticed she had some sort of like heart murmur or whatever. And so she spent a few days in there and that was already really, trying for us for the first time and figuring out what that, what that meant and staying in the hospital with her. And so that whole sort of emotional journey was, you know, in and of itself, but you know, as we kind of continued to, you know, you know, um, you know, brought her home and then she was having these allergies and it's, it's sort of rocked our world in where, and, and, you know, you're sort of, you're given this idea that, um, you know, come home with the baby and the parenting and it's all kind of like, you know, postcard life and all that stuff, but then it's just gets really real. And not only do you have to figure out what parenting is, which you're absolutely right. You're just kind of like figuring it out as you go, cause you really don't know. And, um, Putting the layer of okay, well, she can't eat this and that and all these other things, and she gets older, figuring out how to cook differently. It's like not even cooking with like simple things, like oh, let me put butter in the pan. Well, I can't use butter in the pan because she has a dairy allergy. So, what ingredients can we cook with? What what foods can we eat? And so, uh, you know, everything was really made with um, things she couldn't eat. So it was just it was a lot of research and a lot of just education um but yeah it was uh it was such a learning experience looking back but going through it was pretty tough just to figure out and just navigating one parenting by itself but then also like adding more and more layers to everything else
0: yeah i can imagine the the one big thing i've i've noticed from having a child with food allergies is i now read the ingredients on everything just to you know ensure that it's something safe for her, and I've now learned just like how crappy our food in America is, yeah um, oh my gosh yeah,
1: lo-
0: yeah, I mean, you look at some of these i mean corn syrups and everything, soys and everything, um sugar sh- yeah sugar <laughs> it's just like it's been so eye opening in terms of like just even myself now, like even when I'm not eating with Molly. And I'm, you know, buying something that maybe I'm going to eat or and in, in just looking at the ingredients. Um, my favorite example now is I'm a big bratwurst person. I love summer grilling brats on the grill and I love Johnsonville brats. And I recently looked at the ingredients on the back, um, of Johnsonville brats, just cause like I said, I'm always checking ingredients now. And there's, um, corn syrup. There's not many ingredients in a Johnsonville brat, but there is corn syrup in there for some reason. And I'm like, right. why is there corn syrup in my brat? <laughs> yeah, right. I read uh, an article. Um, I think it was in Crane's Chicago Business. And I don't remember the context. Um, but this article uh, claims that you may have spilled the beans on... Uh, when when you had gray, you and your wife had gray, you, you decided not to find out the gender and you chose names for each gender just in case. Um, but the article... Uh, if if it's correct uh you spilled the beans to your parents on the names uh accidentally and then um your your wife might or may or may not have been happy with that is this, is this accurate I, I i think that is accurate
1: I'm not, i can't recall or maybe i just forgot i want to not recall it but i may have <laughs> probably i probably have done that yeah yeah you know it's just like those names are i mean you hear it all the time i think where you know, keeping the secret of the names is a powerful thing. Like, I think, I think it's just because you get a lot of opinions from everyone about what names should be. So, Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. You know, you just never want to do that. It's just one of those naive things that I probably did. Um, I'd probably say I, for, I
0: don't remember it, but I, I think I do. <laughs> <laughs> so you are the, so after kick sprout, um, you had this idea for, and you called it nestled. And if I remember correctly, um, this was keeping track of different, uh, was it just toys or was it, uh, products in general though, that would be recalled. And I think this came from with, with gray or something, something was recalled and you didn't know where to go to, to learn more.
1: Yeah. So I, I, that was really sort of the brainchild of my wife and she, Um, You know, we're, you know, we're, you know, continue to be parents. Um, She had gone through a, like a leadership um, sort of, not training, but a program through um, that was housed, I think it was called Startup Leadership Program, actually. And I think it was being housed in 1871 at the time. Um, She had gone there just for kind of general kind of startup experience, uh, exposure and some workshops and, and kind of came out with this concept called Nestled. And, um, the concept was, I think, so the story, the story goes, we were, um, in a, in a baby store of all things, of course, you know, I think this was probably gray or maybe our second son, Aza at the time. And, um, we went there for something and we saw a posting on the wall for a recalled um, baby chair or some sort of like stool or something. And so the, the photo was printed out and it was it was on a, a wall of like a ton of other photos that are printed out that were recalled because the the recalls actually come from our the government it's a government website like a recall database and you can print out every time they announce the recall you can go there and then the store particularly printed out all the recalls so if parents came in they can see these different products and so we saw a product that looks similar Um, to the one that we have at home, but we weren't quite sure if it was the same one, you know, there's a different make, there's different models, different, you know, I mean, there's so many baby products these days. Like you don't know the different types and features. And so we were like, there's gotta be a better way to figure out if I bought this product, uh, I should be able to know if it was recalled that I owned it. And so that was sort of the, the genesis of that idea where at least it was like, well, You know, if we buy things online, we should be able to get alerted right away based on the things that we purchased in the past that, hey, you have a recalled stroller in your house or you have a recalled crib or, you know, I mean, a lot of times, you know, you buy these ticketed items um, in general, you could, you could actually send in, right, you know, the recall um, registration on the the card. But I mean, who, who does that, right? I mean, I mean, maybe a lot of people do, but I mean, you can, but the little things like, Things that get recalled every day are like pajamas, choking hazards, or I mean, at this point, you're not quite sure, you know, what you've bought or what you have in your house. So it was sort of a cons- conceptual idea where um, anything that you bought, whether on Amazon, which you know they do some recall alerts now too, um, it was taking the recall database that's open source from the government website and matching it first with say your purchase data into say amazon or anywhere online target and getting an alert on your phone just saying hey something's been recalled that you potentially own you should take care of that here's all the necessary information and so you just kind of feel more safe about the things you have in your house so that was sort of the concept
0: Gotcha. And, yeah, I see a natural progression here of the musician single to then <laughs> ki- right. kids with, with Kick Sprout and then, uh, you know, figuring out the recalls with the kids with Nestled. Right. So, so soon it'll be, like, retirement and and,
1: other, <laughs> <laughs> and other savings, something like that. Probably when I get old.
0: <laughs> yeah, you'll you'll uh, take a, a new take on retirement planning and financial advisements and things right, like that. Right, right. I like um, it. But you know the thing I I, I kind of want
1: to tell say too like you know we kind of talking through all these different ideas and and I always want to be transparent and honest it's like you know a lot of these ideas they some went some did well like so Kicksprout did well for a few years um, you know Nestle was con- conceptual in the collision didn't kind of didn't really scale like to a to a company and and that's the truth like you're gonna have. A million ideas that you're just gonna try, but you're, you're, just, you're just a lot of it's just not gonna work. Like it's just not gonna work. Um, maybe due to timing or execution, but um, it's harder. It's so much harder than people think, and it's so much harder. It's it's so much different than what you see on on TechCrunch or you see on you know, you know your your startup alerts. You know, it's just a different ball game. Um, it's sort of fantasized online that you can just build an idea and it becomes, you know, it sells out. And I think that's what's frustrating when I hear a lot of these stories is like, it's not the typical case. Um, It's because I think entrepreneurship or startups is is really popular. Um, And I just, you know, it's, it's not, it's not, it could be further from the truth.
0: One of the videos I watched, um, I think it might've been on, oh, it was on your personal uh, YouTube channel, um, where you have a bunch of videos about your family and your children and stuff um and you were talking about <clears throat> how you've always been transparent that you're a working family, you know you have four children um you know you were saying that you know you're you do the best you can for your children and everything, but you're not you know necessarily some millionaire who's sold a couple companies or anything like that um, and I think that's important to mention um because you know, you've you've had so many ideas. You know, we went through a couple here, and you've, like you said, some have been more successful than others. Um, but you also on your YouTube channel, you have another video that's titled "Don't Quit Your Day Job to Be an Entrepreneur," and <laughs> it's a talk. It's an excerpt from the talk I think that you gave maybe last summer, and part of that is um part of what you say is too many people that i talk to say hey i just quit my job i'm going to start a business when they never even thought about what that meant when i was watching you say that i couldn't help but think were you talking about yourself
1: yeah i
0: mean that's absolutely i think you look back you're like
1: that's me as the example you know i think there were there were times where um you just, I think you're so excited sometimes to start something and there's this sort of, you know, uneducated view of like how things will pan out. Um, and I think that came from, so back in 2000, um, 2003 or four. So I, I had joined a a startup, um, out of San Francisco. We, I was part of a sales team, uh, in a very short time I was there. They were acquired by a larger company, you know, um, and it was like, at that time, it was like $650 million or something like that in cash. And, and so, I, I mean, I wasn't part of the early team. I wasn't, you know, I had some sort of, I had some, you know, equity or um, in the company, but not anything by any means of what other employees had. But anyways, so my experience was that was sort of the first startup tech startup I had joined. And within about a year and a half, I saw this startup be acquired and people had made unbelievable amounts of money. And I, I, I was like, oh, so that's, so this is what is like, right. You, we can just, an idea can be formed. And then, um, you know, years down the road, you build it, it will get acquired. And this was like, you know, I was, you know, I was young and then, and it just wasn't the case when you try to do it on your own. I think that's, I was definitely talking about my experience in the past. And I think, I would have been better if I if one I think I mentioned a video that I I, 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 underst- I needed to understand that I have entrepreneurial tendencies and if you if you feel like you do, then acknowledge that but also take the necessary steps to really learn um, as you as you're working and, and, and working with these other companies because there's there's when you when you start on your own, you have to do everything. Like it doesn't doesn't stop. There's no teams of teams in silos, you know, or silos. It's just you're you're doing everything. So you might as well learn as much as you can because businesses have you know sort of similar structures, right? You have to understand all those things. And if you if you're someone that is not going to go to business school, and I wasn't the type of person that was built for business school, then you then go learn it, you know, as you as we say, like you know, in real life, but. I think what we see today is that we see a lot of people just becoming um, CEOs because they can say they're CEO, but we don't, we don't know, we don't understand that, you know, maybe their parents have provided them enough money to get started or they have a trust or whatever. And that's, and that's fine. Like I have nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. I just, I I think it's, it's, um, it's dangerous to think that that's what the norm is because, the truth is a lot of us don't have that and so when we when we see those um, situations come to life we're inspired or or you know we're motivated to do it but we have to be like wait a minute like i don't really have the necessary means to do this and um, or the support or the knowledge and i think that's where a lot of us come in from and i think my whole point of that talk was to say learn on someone else's dime and understand that this is a road that's going to get you to where you want to be in the next five or 10 years. And that doesn't sound as cool as saying tomorrow, I'm going to be able to switch my LinkedIn profile to co-founder and CEO because you just can, um, but you have to take the, you have to take the long road.
0: Yeah. It's, I don't even know what the word for it is, but you know, the media says one thing and I think there's always a story behind it that may not be getting told.
1: Yeah. I mean, we're getting, we're getting highlights, right? We're just getting highlights of what people want highlights, us, that's the word. us to know. Um, but you know more than anyone else too, that this entrepreneurial game or, you know, life is a very difficult one. And um, if you don't have, if you don't have access to the right people or um, the opportunity to, you know, have if you need to raise money, like, that's part of that's really revealing now. Like it's, it really, you really have to really work at it and having the appropriate network. But the, the questions are like, are people aren't given the same type of access. And then when I say that I'm talking about, you know, people in um, with diverse backgrounds and just pure opportunity, you know, because the things that we see online, it's just not, it's not, it's not real. I mean, it's real in a sense that, you know, you look, you, you dig a little deeper, and you know they were given. Some people were given money to start their own company right out of college, or like their whole co- college career was paid for, or they. You know, it's it's just we don't have enough context. I guess what I'm trying to say um, when we make our decisions on what we want to do as as people who want to start things.
0: And no, knowing you for ten years now, I can say you are very real. And I, you mentioned a little bit ago, and I remember this now, and I I didn't, when I was kind of thinking about preparing for this interview, I had I neglected to remember this detail, but you mentioned that when you first had Gray, the first couple days she was in the NICU. Um, I remember that now, you know, hearing about it afterward. That, you know, being a parent myself, I can't imagine what that is like, especially the first couple days, um, just because, you know, we, as parents, learn more and more each day that we're parents. So I mean, the first few days, by definition, you know, little to nothing. (laughs) Um, Where did you find the strength those days to just know that it was going to be okay? Hmm.
1: You know, I think um, this goes back a long time. Um, This goes back to where... I first came to Chicago and um you know my faith really became a part of my life where um you know I really felt felt like um I sort of found sort of that strength through my faith in in God and I had found that through a really crazy journey right like through college and just really searching for you know a lot. You know what people call purpose and sort of what their kind of meaning is for their life. And um, you know, I I'm not saying that it's an easy road, but um, you know, through that time, I was able to kind of find a lot of strength and a lot of just like you know confidence in that um, my life was really. Uh, it's something that is is that has a lot of meaning to it, and and leaning on you know, leading on sort of my faith through a lot of difficult situations and, you know, that was one situation. I think it, it, I go back and I go get, keep going back to that as I, you know, go through new challenges and new hurdles and, um, just really fortunate and, and blessed to have a wife and Lisa, who's also very strong in her faith. And together we, you know, it was, it was tough. I mean, we, we uh, like you said didn't know what to expect from her being in a NICU um i remember i remember them doing more tests and um you know this is the stuff they don't really tell you like i mean you can i guess you can read all these books and prepare but like all the things that they you're just not given the uh kind of the heads up on and maybe this is part of our fault too but we you know i you know now we know after having four kids like you know that you go through several tests before they you know, they do the heart and they, they do the hearing test. you know, before they get, you have to leave the, you know, the hospital. And she had failed both of her hearing tests. And it was just kind of like nonchalantly told to us, well, she, she didn't pass her hearing test. Uh, she failed on both ears. And and also on another layer of like, wait a minute, there's a hearing test. Like, is she, can she not hear now for the rest of her life? Like, how is that supposed to, you know, how, how are you supposed to handle that? And so it was just like constantly like these layers where it kind of added up. But like, it's funny when you, when you kind of face challenges and you're sort of like hands up in the air, you're like, where do I go now? Like, who do I lean on? What do I do? Um, You know, for us and our family, it was sort of our faith. And because I think that was sort of our guiding, kind of guiding rock through times when we were like, I don't really know what's, what the, the future is. Um, so I, you know, I know leaning on myself isn't going to, I can do all the hard work I can, um, you know, Lisa can do all the hard work she can too. um, we just have to have, you know, that faith that things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. Um, we're going to go through these things because it's going to make us, um, much stronger and we have to kind of learn from that. I think that's where you have to sort of find that strength from um or else you're just sort of leaning on things that are not as solid in kind of in our life and so um it's kind of a long answer to your to your question but I think that's where we we continue to go you know uh, as we from the first kid to the fourth kid i mean it's just a whole different new set of challenges um you know as life
0: sort of continues to go on you you and i both um <laughs> And admittedly, I didn't actually know this about you until I was uh, uh, perusing the internet, listening to podcasts. And I like to do a lot of research for, for my guests. Um, you and I both went to not the same Catholic school, but Catholic school from K to eight. And um, I'm curious, um, was that experience, what did you get out of that experience? Did you, you know, did, did some of your foundings in faith and faith and strength come from, from those years at that school? Yeah, I mean absolutely. I think that was sort of the 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 beginning
1: of the introduction to sort of um my faith and sort of my relationship with 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 my faith. And so um it I mean I was I was born, you know, in a Catholic family. My my parents are still very strong Catholics. Um and so um they continue to 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 practice that and um you know, it was definitely a um a, a great foundation to kind of set the stage for where I continue to grow, and so where where I really end up growing in my own life um, was I had to kind of move away from that I'm in college and sort of did my own thing and and you know uh, typical like had a lot of fun, too much fun, probably too much drinking, and like you know just kind of like let that sort of fly. Um, and it was wasn't until my senior year in college was when I sort of had this sort of moment where I felt like um it was one of those hands up in the air moment you know I think things were just sort of I wasn't finding like a i think i i was just ending a relationship i was uh looking for work I was gonna graduate um you know things just coming started coming down on you and like okay, what's the next stage in my life and so you know, trying to handle that on my own wasn't happening, and I ha- end up having these conversations with um uh, with a guy named Bill who would come to the fraternity house that I was uh, living in, and we just have conversations about faith and what that means, and um, you know, what that means in our life. And I and I think at that point, I remember one weekend going away to some sort of retreat and just really finding sort of a relationship, um with, with God and with Christ and saying like, you know, I, I, I was built, I was made for something special. And I think that I I found sort of a new found uh, relationship with that. And it sort of opened up my eyes to a lot of things. And I, and, and, um, it helped me kind of navigate a lot of the stress and the worries that I had in my life at the time. Um, and that's when I ended up graduating and, uh, moved away to Chicago, which I haven't, I've been here ever since. And I actually met Lisa at the, at the same church that I started going to um, in Chicago. It was a non-denominational church here in Chicago. And so, yeah, we, we actually met uh, at church, which was pretty amazing. And then became friends and, and end up uh, getting married and now here with four kids. And so yeah, but yeah, you know, looking back to answer your question, that definitely was that really great foundation for me. Um, it just took a a, a, a path um, to go back to it and just really found my place in
0: in this kind of newfound uh, area with my family. Man, that you you were talking about that you know when you're getting out of college and just the weight of the world and 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 everything the hands in the air moment and that's just such a tough time I think for everyone who has the opportunity to go to you know college that like i remember like when i i it's funny that you know hindsight 2020 like i look back at college and like i spent all of college wanting to get out of college and find a job right and then now you know you look back and you're like you idiot (laughs) you did it wrong (laughs) you had it you had a good yeah yeah and i remember like i got out and i wanted to pursue uh um Well, no, I I had a job offer for um, pretty good money, actually. I mean, you know, for an out-of-college job, uh, being a web developer at some place in Chicago. And like, I'll never forget, I was reading the email one day and it just like all of a sudden struck me like, I'm going to be sitting at a desk or behind a desk like all day, all year, and like, I literally emailed them back and was like, this is a great opportunity to pay. Everything's fine. It's not you. It's me. I'm, I'm not going to accept this. So I, I actually like, I think accepted it and like a day later I told them like, I can't do this. Yeah. Um, but wow. like you said, it, you know, it's, yeah, it's this, this hands in the air moment of like, all of a sudden the world is your oyster and it's almost like, well, what do I do now? I mean, I could do everything, but I could do nothing. I, I, oh my gosh, what do I do? Yeah, I mean, there's so, many, there's so much pressure, I think,
1: not just from yourself, but from the world around you and society and even, you know, your expectations of your friends and your family. I think we don't take into account how much pressure that people are putting um, on you. And I think, you know, one of the things that I remember giving a talk on to to college students is that you're just really making sure you you know what you want to do. and to kind of, this is a time to really tackle those things that you want to accomplish in your life or or dream of the things that you really want to, you want to accomplish. And it sounds like, you know, motivational Instagram, you know, but it's, it's really, is true. Like, I think we, we put too much pressure on ourselves because the pressure from everyone else is just building. And I can say that, um, as someone who knows, you know, especially from my, Background, um, you know, there are a lot of people in my sort of background, and you know, in the kind of Asian, in a Filipino background, is like there's a lot of expectations sometimes from your friends and family of what you should do or what you should become. Um, a lot of it's coming from really good intentions because they love you and they want you to do well, but sometimes it's not it's not the things that you want to do, and it's not the things that you want to become, because at the end of the day, like you have to just, you know be honest with yourself and say, is this what really I want to do with my life? And there's no better, there's no better better place to, to really start figuring it out when you're, you know, when you're younger, you know, and you don't have sort of these sort of feelings when you're further down the road and maybe have kids and, and a lot of other more, more pressures and more layers of responsibility than you can ever have. Uh, I think that's where, this is like you said, this, this is the college time if you're able to do it or even when you're in high school now to really like understand what you want and have that really um that have that self-awareness to understand what it, it truly is, you know, important to you and not important to everyone else.
0: I love what you said about, you know, your advice to college students was like determine who you are, understand your self-awareness and who you are as a person. And that will help you when those pressures come from your friends, your family, and external external pressures. Was college the time where you like kind of found who you were, or was it after college or before college?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I.
0: So I was a I was I was a guy that
1: switched my major, you know, several times, and originally was you know, I actually originally I didn't even know what I wanted to do, and I found a lot of. um you know, passion and obviously music at the time. And then I was still really involved in art. And I wanted, I, I loved art. I loved creating art. Um, it's kind of really tapped that creativity piece to it. Um, and then I had sort of the really, when, you know, when technology came around, you know, you know, messing around with computers back in the day. And then all you just kind of like, you, you have these little pockets of things you, you like to do and you're passionate about. I just don't think I ever really like, I don't think I ever put those things together and sat back and said, okay, so I, I, I like, I really love what I'm, what I'm doing here and here and here. And what does that look like from a whole I step back and look at that? What does that look like? Like, where could I see myself? I, I, I was more concerned about like, well, I love art. Well, I can't be an artist. So let, let me be a graphic designer. Well, let me, should I do that? Or I, I really like music. Like let's, let's just let's switch careers. Like it, it was such a time of confusion for me. And so I, you know, I took the five-year route, you know, I took a, long, a longer time to get out of college. I, I switched majors. I was the art major at the time, graphic design, and I ended up landing on marketing because they kind of was straddled a little bit of, uh, a little bit of both, but I wasn't quite sure. It was sort of like, Hey, let's do that. That's, I think that's a safe route. I can go into advertising or something. And next thing you know, you look back, you're like, okay, you got to decide a major and, you know, that's another pressure. So I have to decide what I want to be. And that's pretty heavy, you know, and so i i you end up just graduating and in trying to in getting any job you can i think it's it's just that it's like you see that often and it's still the case, and which is which is really interesting to me
0: yeah i I'm with you on that like this whole. I could go on for hours, but this whole notion of like, I mean, even now it's like you got to test to get into preschool, which prepares you for kindergarten, which prepares you for grammar school. And that's all about getting you into high school, which is all about getting you into college, which is all about getting you the the job. And I just wonder, like my kids, like, should no one Molly go to college? Will they go to college? Like is college, you know, not to mention the exorbitant cost in nine years, right. how much college will be, but like. Yeah. You oh know, gosh. it's, yeah, it's just, it it's something I think about so much now and I, I don't have the answer to, but yeah. I don't know um, that that path we put them on is just, it just scares me. Yeah. And I, I, I guess the way I like to look at it is like
1: school and, you know, college, non college, you know, this or that. I think those are like really great tools to, 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 to utilize. I think the question that I, I try to, try to ask when, you know, as we have these kids and it's trying to figure out who they, like the same question that we were trying to ask ourselves we should have asked ourselves in college. Like, and, and, and us as parents figuring out, you know, how do we help them discover more what they want to do? Or we figure out what their passions are because, you know, they're not going to know, you know, sort of their career path, but typically it's what I always say, the things you're, you're typically, um, you're, the things you're typically good at, Are the things that you're probably really passionate about. And so how do we discover that from our kids in a really early age? Like I know for a fact things that make gray kind of tick is dance and ballet. And if you just watch her do it, you can see that she really has a sort of love for it. Right, and then, like recognizing that that is the case, but also encouraging it when you can, encouraging it and letting her have the ability to do it, but also giving her the ability to say no and not do it anymore um I think there's a whole different we probably go on hours about the different pressures our parents put on their kids. Um, the same goes for like sports, you know, I want, you want them to enjoy and just like find their, find their moments of what they feel like they are, they love to do. And every kid is extremely different, you know, and every kid you have to parent much differently in approach. And so, um, I think that's sort of the questions we need to start asking is like, not necessarily what system do we need to put them through, but what, um, figuring out and helping them as
0: parents to figure out what they, what they want to become. Oh, that's excellent advice. I'm glad we're recording this so we can both listen back and use this for our own kids. Yeah, I just have to make sure that I'm, I'm trying to check off these advice, on
1: my, you know, on my
0: own. <laughs> you you speak a lot. Um, I mean, just in our conversation today alone, but a lot about passion, a lot about understanding one's passion and understanding, you know, how to pursue it. Um, in one of your videos on your, your personal YouTube channel, you, you talked about how, to you, that passion isn't necessarily just passion, but it's passion, purpose, and practicality. And I'd love for you to unpack that if you can. Um, what does what passion, yeah. purpose, and practicality mean to you?
1: Yeah. So over the years, it's sort of evolved into sort of three buckets for me and continuing to um, kind of... Put these three things together because you know you have your passion i think we all understand passion like people what you're really um you know, really passionate about you you love doing these things you're you can be passionate about sports you can be passionate about uh, being a sports fan or just being an athlete or any hobby that you love to do music and art um we understand passions but having passions is one thing um you also have to understand Purpose, I think purpose is another layer that, that says, okay, you're, are the things that I'm passionate about? Is it, it, do I have like a purpose to pursue it? Do, is there something that this, what I'm, what I'm going after, is it making, I guess, is it making meaning, right? I mean, you can be passionate about basketball, um, but is it something that you're making meaning? And this is all kind of like the formula I feel is going to kind of move you towards, you know a career or a life that you, you know, you're kind of made and created to do. So you have your passion and the things that we love and then you have your purpose. Like, is this, is this creating meaning in my life? Is it sort of making the world better or, or is it like, or is it writing a wrong? Um, and I think you have, those two are really great. You have your prep, your passion and your purpose. The last layer is really important is practicality. And that's really saying is this realistic in um, the moment I am right now? You know, I think that goes back to our conversation around, you know, people want to become a CEO or entrepreneur or start an idea, but like you're looking at yourself saying, it's like, is, what's the practicality of this. And this is the thing that was really hard for me to really understand too, because I remember my, my parents also was talking to me like, Hey, this is this practical. Are you, are you is your decision practical? And I was like, no, it doesn't matter if it's practical. Like, I want to do it. But it, unpacking it, practicality was a huge part of this sort of formula on top of passion and purpose to sort of get closer to the thing that you want to eventually do. And practicality could mean um, timing. It could mean resources. It could it could mean uh, financial um, support and stability. Like, if you don't have – the, the means to like quit your job and, and, and work on a business for five years, I don't. that's not practical, right? Um, you have to understand that that's, it's sort of a pipe dream. Um, so you have to have sort of like the practicality is kind of like the grounding of yourself and make making decisions based on not just your gut, but looking at sort of data and saying, okay, this may not be, you know, the smartest thing to do right now, even though you really love to do it. Um, so, I sort of came up with that sort of three Ps, if you will, just because I felt like those three things really matter. And I think well, you you can find YouTube videos and like finding your passion and everyone just like, just have passion and go for it. Like, that's great, but that's also super dangerous. You know, um, you, you just don't have like, not everyone has the same cards to play with. Right. Um, and also, passion can take you so far but like do you like you know when you wake up and you're like i really feel like i have a purpose to in, in in this sort of job or or as a parent this is a real purpose to that there's a really um significant um specific purpose in in doing what you do and then lastly like like i said you know is this is this the right choice right now like am i making the right choice today um for the long
0: term and not just sort of on my gut I love that you have passion and practicality in the same sentence there really because like you said usually when people talk about finding passion chasing that passion maybe making a living out of that passion or or making it one's you know purpose even practicality usually isn't part of the equation it's usually right, right at all at all costs you know pursue that and I love that you've kind of Snuck practicality in there and made it an equal partner in the equation of understanding that like, it's almost like passion needs to be balanced with practicality. Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, passion will take you.
1: It's so emotional, right? It's um, you know, it's just an emotional part of the formula. Yeah, you're right. It's a perfect word. The balance of having that and somebody say, and then something saying, okay, well is this, is this the right, is this the right time? You know, do I have the right resources? You know, um, passion will tell you, no, you do just go for it. Just like, you know, quit it, quit your job. And like, who cares? Like, you know, it's, it's, you know, this person did it and I, it's just, just no context around that stuff. And so it's, uh, it, it, yes, it, it's definitely helped me, um,
0: start to ground a lot of the things that I want to do. So indie collision, Kick Sprout Nestled. Um after that you had uh Diversely where uh, it was an idea to uh help companies hire more diverse employees and more, more diverse candidates in the pipeline. And then also remote careers, uh, which if I recall correctly was a website to uh help showcase, you know, the growing amount of remote opportunities for, for people to find jobs. Yeah. Um So, you know, something that's that stuck in my mind when I was when I was thinking about this this podcast and you coming to mind was just that like you are someone who truly embodies that concept of passion, purpose, and practicality. And you are not afraid to try things knowing that Success is very much an option, but failure is also an option and not an option in that you choose it, but an option and an outcome. Those are both possible outcomes yeah my question though is let's say that failure or or maybe not failure, but in in what you set out to do, maybe you you realize this isn't the outcome I was expecting, and maybe you know in the back of your mind, you're considering that a failure. if that starts to happen more than you expect it to where do you find the strength to to even keep going you know to come up with the next idea or to you know follow your passion the next time like it just feels like you know and and i've i'm thinking back over over the years different things i've tried and stuff and it's almost like you know the motivation each time at least for me gets like a little bit less and maybe i just don't have enough passion is the answer here um yeah. But, which I I don't think it is, but like, how do you keep going? I don't know. I I think that's, uh, it comes
1: down to understanding, like, this is just who you are. Like, if you like to, to come up with ideas and and build things and try them, like you said, the, the opportunity to, to win is, is sort of the game too. Like, and absolutely the, the, the fail here is outcome, the wins for sure. Um, you have to have all things spinning and, and working at the same time. Um, I do want to preface that, you know, the reason why I was able to kind of build these things, um, was really like, you know, thinking back when I, we first started talking and you were, you or yourself were, you know, a developer knew how to build things, right? I think that was really eye opening working with you in the beginning is understanding how much it took to actually build out a piece of technology or even a a website, right? And at that time, I was like, I had no idea. We just kind of, you just change this and do that. And then, um, you know, it just works. And so I think, man, you really encouraged me back in the day to start to learn on my own. And so I was able to kind of learn, um, you know, very light things from WordPress and trying to be resourceful on different plugins to make things work and sort of quote hack things together. But that sort of learning over the years has helped me, um, kind of launch these ideas without much capital. I mean, the capital being time and, you know, hosting and you know, whatever other plugins you need. But, um, when you kind of are able to arm yourself with education and the right tools and resources, you can do you. You can you have the higher probability of building things, and hopefully have the higher probability of winning in some of them. But but of all things, you you with the failures you learn so much more each time. Um, and I guess your question is, how do you find the strength and motivation to keep going? I think that's, I think your life just un. When you go through life, it unveils opportunities and it, it unveils. Um, the opportunity to to attack a problem and to find solutions to that. I think that's was my biggest motivation is like, there are so many problems that face us in our life and in this world. Like as people that like to build things, I think that's sort of our calling too, to figure out, can this be done? Um, if it can't be done, who else can do it? And I think that's what motivates me that, and it's not the money motivation. It's more like, "Hey, we can build something really great here to, to, to help solve a problem." And I think that's where I'm most excited about uh, when it comes down to new ideas and building things. And, um, and I just always end up at that place, you know, where I have these ideas. But then, now that I'm older, you kind of go through your formula of, "Okay, this is a good idea. Has it been done before?" And you throw on your practicality, layer on, you're like, ah, eh, this is probably not the right time. Um, and then you kind of move on. You, you, you're you, like, you you just don't marry yourself to these ideas, which is super important. But I think that's where the excite, excited excitement and the sort of the newness of being able to build something
0: is what sort of keeps me going. Uh, the first note I wrote down earlier was learn how to let go. And I'm seeing that jump back in right now is that you almost have to l- learn how to let go but but almost be okay with letting go if if that's the practical thing to do yeah and then that's the hardest thing to do i think
1: people you you've been there before it's like you build an idea and you know you've been close to it for so long but the hardest thing is to say okay well i don't think this, this is not working right or i don't think it has the opportunity to do it and so you have to make that decision Which is super hard because you you put a lot of thought and time into it. Um, but I think that's where you see a lot of even if you're not building something, right? Like even if I think one of the big questions I think when I was learning about entrepreneurship and, you know, that that point of time where where people are asking you if you're gonna raise money, and then one of the questions I think that people ask you if you're raising money or investors will say, you know, yeah, you're founder or CEO today, like what would it look like if this scaled? Are you what are your thoughts of um being able to step down and let someone else run the company, you know my first reaction before was like, no way, like this is this is what I built, but you know as you kind of go through you're like hey that's that's part of letting go, understanding that this is probably not my pocket anymore that I you know can make this grow i obviously that's a great situation where if you're in that um but also a very difficult one if if it's not just letting go of your position but if you want to see, if you have to close
0: doors um of your company, yeah, absolutely. I want to ask you about um, all these, uh, all the different ideas I have on my list here that that we talked about. Every every time I would watch you over, you know, over the course of us knowing each other, um, you know, whether it was you asking me, you know, something about the idea or advice or or just an opinion, or you know, we meet up and talk about it. The one theme I noticed throughout everything you've ever worked on is. You've had the full support of Lisa, your wife. Um, sometimes, you know, she was almost like your business partner in on it. Yeah. Um, or actually probably most of the time. But I, I was always struck by this seemed like you two fully support each other with that sort of thing, with, you know, passion, um, with purpose, and of course, you know, bringing in practicality. Um, I'm curious how important... Is that to you in and how important has that been in you know allowing you both to pursue your passions and by it I mean like kind of what appears to be like that full support of each other in those those pursuits yeah i
1: mean it's i mean it's it's
0: everything i mean
1: this one of the things I really tell um you know entrepreneurs or startups uh, when I talk to them today is that you're kind of going into this game um not on your own. But of your 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 family and your your friends. I mean, it, they're they're part of this whole thing you're trying to do, and having their their support is super important. I think they're a part of the journey, right? I think you can't you can't sort of separate that, especially if it, you're really close. If your your spouse, or your partner is super close to it, and even obviously if they're a part of it too. But you know that stuff. It's um, it's a journey that's a a, a complete up and down. And sometimes you need sort of that. You you absolutely need that support. Um, that someone is saying, Hey, you know, you're, you're doing the right thing or, you know, you're, you're, you're doing the best you can. I think having that partner is, is, is the most, one of the most important things. I think leaning on them for the, the times that are just going to be super rough and there's going to be super rough times. Um, you get to go after ideas and they're not going to work and you're, you're going to have to close up shop and a, a lot of the time. And so I always say they're, they're taking a journey with you whether they like it or not. Um, but as I say, you know, so they're going to be, they're going to be drug through the mud too. But um, if you have that support, that's even much better um, especially the times when you had to call it quits. And you know, it's uh, it's one of the things that it's, it's needs to be a foundation Um, And they need to understand that this is going to be, you know, a difficult road. It's not just like, and it's not just like building your own company too. It's like even, even joining, um, even joining really young companies. I mean, young companies are going to have conversations about um, not having enough money to make it next year or even large companies when you go through, the taking the whole, taking the whole startup stuff out of the equation. Um, you know, what if you're at a large company and do a, 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 a big layoff? I mean, you, that's the support you need to like from your partner and your family. And so it's, I think it all comes down to having really supportive people in your life and surrounding yourself with people that are, are that are able to help you out in those situations.
0: Absolutely. I'm thinking back to Christine, um, first interview I did for, for we're only human. Um, that was a big theme she brought up and you know, I I definitely couldn't agree more. And I want to thank you for speaking of support. When I, you know, texted you initially about like, Hey, I want to do this podcast. I'd love to have you on. Not only were you like, sure, you know, that'd be great. I'd be happy to, but you right away were like, Hey, I have some podcasting gear that, you know, you're, you're welcome to use. If you want to get started with it before you get your own, you, um, you told me about the microphones and I started asking questions about hosting services and like immediately you were like this support system. I didn't even know I needed yet, um, for, for diving into the podcasting world. So thank you for that. I
1: appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I still have this gear, you know, you need to do those interviews (laughs) and, uh, in-person stuff. Like it's, it's here to use, you know, I love the idea and, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for inviting me to be a guest. I don't, I was, uh, doing a pot, you know, I, I don't, I rarely get to be a guest on podcast, so this is great.
0: Oh, absolutely. And thank you so much for taking the time too. I appreciate it. I know it's time out of your day and, um, I really do, do appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. I'm excited. I'm excited to hear it and I'm excited to see where this goes, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of we're only human. Please go ahead and give us a review or rate us with some stars and maybe tell a friend about the podcast. Thanks.